electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Very big lineup today. Uh, this hour alone, you'll hear from the CEOs of Boeing, AMD, Starbucks, and Spotify. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Dow futures are a bit soft as we work our way through this storm of earnings. Got a Fed decision this afternoon, a presidential address tonight. But, Jim... It really comes down to what you are now calling this gauntlet, the 72-hour gauntlet of earnings that we're in. Yeah, look, it's foolish what the companies are doing. They're reporting at the same time. They don't need to do that. But the gauntlet yesterday was positive. Uh, The overall ones were good. Today, it's more mixed. And I think that what's really strange, and we're going to get to it very quickly, is some of the mixed ones are actually quite good. I I see no reason whatsoever that Microsoft's down other than people just want to take profits. Uh, Starbucks, we're going to kick around when we speak to Kevin Johnson. Uh, If Boeing trades down on absolutely nothing, then that's just another Dow stock that is just indicating, well, you know what? We're just going to take some things down on based on nothing. The only thing that I saw was really of interest, David, was Pinterest of Mm -hmm. all places because they did the pull through comments that that we saw with Netflix. And so there is a a covid. uh, There are covid distinctions being made. But I think Visa trumps that. We never talk about Visa. No, rarely. And yet that's the biggest of all, other than Microsoft and Google. Yes, enormous market value. And out of nowhere, it was fantastic. And I I insist on talking about it only just because I tire of a company that really has a great read on the world where the numbers were spectacular. I'm glad you do, because you're right. Sometimes we overlook it at a $500 billion, let's call it market value. It is one of the largest companies in the country. It's not what we focus on. We, well, obviously, we want to focus on FANG names. And, yes. Uh, Alphabet was extraordinary. Wasn't it? Remember the days we used to speak about TAC? Yes. Well, now we speak about YouTube. We speak about cloud. Uh, I, look, it was a remarkable quarter. It was far better than people realized. The only thing that's strange is we had no upgrades. And I think without upgrades, you, you're going to go up to a certain point. Yeah. And then you're going to stall. So I do like it very much. But the if you look at a, a stock like yesterday, like UPS, there was massive upgrades. And that's why that one really that defied gravity. You know, Jim and Carla, sometimes it is worth taking a step back, though, just at looking at the pure size and cash flow generative characteristics of Microsoft and Alphabet. Yeah. And, and obviously Apple still to come, which always amazes just with the yeah. sheer size of, of its numbers. But these Jim, I mean, I can remember years ago when Citigroup did a $5 billion uh, quarterly operating profit. I think it was Sandy mm-hmm. Wild Days. I can remember when ExxonMobil did $10 billion and being, wow, we are now routinely seeing numbers of the likes. I mean, operating cash flow at Alphabet of $19.7 billion, free cash flow of $13.3 billion in the quarter. Imagine. They generated $50.7 billion in free cash, free flow, cash flow in the sure. last 12 months. As for as for Microsoft, very similar numbers. Interesting, right? Operating income, 17 billion, up 31 percent, 17.7 billion in commercial cloud revenue. But again, these these numbers, Jim, sometimes it's worth just remarking on the sheer size of them and the power, frankly, of these businesses, which is why they are under scrutiny. Right. Also, there is an element of humility and humanity to these quarters, Carl. You'll have someone who we all 
have come to respect Ruth Porat, the CFO of Alphabet. And she says we are very pleased with the quarter, very pleased with what may be one of the single greatest quarters I've ever seen. There's no hubris here. Carl, they're just doing things right. YouTube is suddenly a major profit center. I mean, gigantic. A billion uh, hours of video watched every day right. on YouTube. And, no and they've started this there. direct response business. It's working. That is, that is generating real profit. And Google Cloud, uh, Carl, you have three, you really do have three cloud companies now. I didn't believe it. Ruth told me for a while that Google Cloud would be significant. I, I dismissed it because there was Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure. By the way, Azure, can we stop kidding ourselves? The numbers were amazing. And anyone who wants to nitpick with, with Azure, just join me on Mad Money today. I'm going to clob, I'm going to take a two by four to your head. But I just th- think that uh, these are amazing quarters. But Alphabet is uh, a company that is the old days. We would pick, we would nitpick other bets they would have. And we would say, oh, man, that is so foolish. What are they doing wasting money there? They're not yeah. anymore. Uh, Ruth is extraordinary. I know there's lots of people involved and I tend to, to cite her. You tend to personalize a lot of times around companies with the CEO or the CFO. Well, she once yes. I came into Bar San Miguel and she was once having a beer at my place. Well, there you go. And I said, you look just like Ruth Porter. Because I am. That's the I reason. wanted to check it out. That's the reason alone. Well, yeah, yeah. right. Operating, operating expenses only up only up 4%. At, Did you know that the OPEX was down is, dramatically? Is, I mean, how can you make so much money, David, and not have a cost of goods go up? How is that possible? It's, working it's magic. Right now. Yeah. Microsoft, too, Carl. 1% margin saving, actually, from COVID-related savings. I thought that was interesting. That's people not getting on airplanes. Oh, you're so focused on that. I'm interested to hear, Jim, I'm interested to hear your defense of Azure because 46 is a great number, but it's not the 47 or 48 of prior quarters. And it sort of makes people wonder today, um, what number do you need to post to get a Google-like response? Do you need to we, beat advertising revenue by $2 billion? Do you need to beat services by several billion dollars in the unit alone? Uh, that's apparently what gets your stock up that day. Well, I know that uh, as you could argue law of, of large numbers, I am urging people to listen to the words of Amy Hood, who is, again, one of the great CFOs of our of our uh, era. And her uh, she pretty much gives a rattle rattle down down of why we should be liking the stock. Uh, and I just thought that it was just a superb quarter class of its own, says Barclays. I completely agree with that. Uh, big target boost in uh, Cowan, J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan, uh, J.P. Morgan, startup like bookings, startup like bookings. This is a huge company. And, it, and it's like a startup. David, we do not see this kind of growth. We've always been told this kind of growth is just simply not possible. Morgan Stanley, the case for buying more Microsoft the prosecution rests. What is that? Azure Power Global LTD. <laughs> what the heck was that? But you know, you know, I, I mean, I, that, that chart was up for like 30 uh, seconds. I was like, what, what are they doing? What in the world was that? Uh, but uh, we've been talking about cloud for a really long time. I think the most important thing that you've just said is now you believe that Google is truly a, a, f- a firm competitor in this arena. And yes. to Carl's question, is it starting to take a little bit of share from Microsoft and or maybe a couple of points out of its growth? Rate? Well, they would tell you yes. And that that's the slowdown in Azure. They've been winning some business. I just refuse to call that a slowdown. I just can't. There's plenty of business. Carl, the cloud. I know these executives come on and they say it's in its infancy. I'm beginning to believe it's in its infancy. I mean, you just don't have this kind of growth. Thomas Curry came to Google 
uh, and said said to me that he was going to make Google into a cloud force. It was so easily dismissed. Well, that was a mistake. He's doing great. But YouTube is amazing. I don't think people realize that YouTube is incredibly watched and makes a fortune. Yes, yes. Because how much does their content cost to create versus Netflix, David? Uh, very, very little. I mean, it costs, yeah, very little. Very, very little. <laughs> there, is, there is some acquisition. Yes, yeah, we've got a... Not much. We've got, a, we've got a good piece on .com today that at their current growth rate, uh, YouTube will have Netflix-like revenue uh, or more uh, by the end of the year. Do people when we work, come back, Carl? a Do huge hour work? ahead, as we said. Nobody works, Carl. They just watch, <laughs> they watch TV. No, no. Right. Uh, Dream S&P, Jim. You've got you to gotta look at uh, some of the stuff that kids are watching these days. Right. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson's up next, plus Spotify's Daniel Ek. We'll talk about his arsenal ambitions. Uh, hear what he said about throwing his hat in the ring to purchase that European football club. The opening bell coming up in about 20 minutes. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Boeing shares look to open down about 1.5% this morning. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who joins us with CEO Dave Calhoun. Hey, Phil. Thank you, Carl. Let's bring in Dave. Uh, Dave, let's talk about the quarter, a sixth straight quarterly loss. Buck uh, 53 a share was the loss, worse than the street was expecting. But you put out a memo to your employees as soon as the numbers came out, and you said in that memo you believe that this is an inflection point. 2021 is an inflection point. Why do you believe that, and why do you think that you are, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but starting to turn the corner here? Yeah. Well, Phil, first, it's, uh, it's good to be with you. Um, I do feel it's an inflection point for a lot of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, the, uh, the way the industry came together with the government to uh, keep the uh, industry alive and well for when a recovery eventually returns, I think will play out in the months ahead. Because I, I believe, at least in this country, in the United States and a few other domestic markets, traffic really is ready to burst back. And uh, our customers are, are busy getting ready for it. Uh, we are getting ready to support them in every way that we can. Um, and, and that is right in front of us. Secondly, uh, as you may know, for the last uh, 18 months and for the next, uh, next uh, 12 months, liquidity is the metric we care the most about, cash flow, getting back to cash flow positive. And first quarter for us, despite uh, a very uh, a big shortfall in 787 deliveries uh, in Q1, we're still slightly ahead of the track that we had planned, which is, as you know, uh, have us getting back to cash flow positive in 2022. So there are a lot of reasons why, why these vectors uh, are, are moving in the right direction. It's always slower than anyone would like, but I am very optimistic. 
Dave, how worried are you about what we're seeing with the pandemic, whether you look at India, whether you look at parts of Europe? And does that make you perhaps rethink the trajectory of a recovery for those long haul markets? Maybe push it back. Uh, Already it's delayed, but push it back even further. Yeah, I don't believe if you look at all the epidemiology charts with respect to spikes in other countries, while this one is prolific because of the population and because of the state of the healthcare system in India, while this one looks worse and is worse, um, I, I think it'll still follow the same kind of path. Um, and ultimately, we'll get it under control as we move out uh, uh, the end of this year. So I don't think it changes that long-term recovery for uh, wide bodies or for those international routes. You know, I do worry for India, our company, and I hope the country does everything in their power uh, to support India at this moment with supplies, et cetera. It's, uh, it's a big deal, and I, I think this will uh, uh, have a very deep and lasting effect on domestic travel in India. So um, we do watch that. Dave, what's going on with the 737 MAX? Uh, you guys, a couple of weeks ago, put out uh, essentially telling uh, your customers a notice saying, don't fly this. We've got some electrical issues in the flight deck. We will have a repair uh, for, so you can identify it, make the fix, and it should only be a matter of a couple of days. Now, that was a couple of weeks ago, and you have yet to put in the fix plan with the FAA for how the, uh, the situation can be identified and repaired. Uh, how much longer before the airlines, and we're talking about Southwest American United and others, will be able to fly the MAX again? Well, let me start by saying it's more than a little disappointing when things like this happen and our, our customers can't put our, our lift to, to work. And so uh, we're in close contact with them every step of the way. The three to four day fix uh, uh, recovery uh, time frame, that, re- that uh, relates to the work itself with respect to when a bulletin is approved by the FAA in concert with Boeing and distributed to the field. And then that work will, will begin. Um, we still believe uh, that that's in relatively short order, although I will not predict when the FAA is through with its with its interrogation of the of the bulletins themselves. Um, it is a, a constructive dialogue going on. It's a pretty simple and straightforward problem and then therefore uh, fixed. So uh, anyway, I'm confident we'll get there. And most importantly, um, uh, we have to try to get to meet the timelines with respect to summer recoveries which our U.S. Uh, airlines in particular are uh, focused on. Uh, Dave, Jim, first, congratulations on the extension of your CEO contract, which is terrific. Hi, Jim. Thank uh, you. Uh, China, I listened to Phil earlier talk about how uh, it's been three years a drought. I, I find China really important for Boeing. But when I listen to the conference call so far, for instance, when I listen to Raytheon, China's important. Why? Because we're bulking up our defense in order to be able to save Taiwan if it comes to that. Uh, the rhetoric uh, from China and from our country about China is so poor, even worse, I think, to some degree than the Trump era, that I don't I just think it's inconceivable you can get orders. And yet they need airplanes. What can you do as a CEO to make it so you get China orders in this perilous time? Well, number one, and, 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 and Jim, your, your finger's on the right issue with respect to the longer term, uh, uh, the future of our aerospace industry here in the United States uh, with respect to commercial air travel. We are a leader in the world. Um, China represents uh, 25% of the global growth in our, our trade. Um, and so it's therefore, it's very important that we stay involved and that we continue to support China with the airlift that we've been supporting them with. Um, I will advocate 
as a CEO. I will advocate to the uh, to our administration currently. I know they're in a sort of a difficult moment with China. I am a, a believer that they will we will all come through this moment uh, and that trade will be a big part of that. Uh, this represents a lot of U.S. jobs. It's a, an entire industry sector um, that will depend on us uh, uh, getting back on track with, with uh, China and trade. It's a big part of the marketplace. I do not want to uh, 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 not participate in that. It would not bode well for our industry. Dave, let me follow up on that with this question. If you do not get a, a sizable order from China let's say within the next six months, and they are still dragging their feet or taking their time, let's say, recertifying the 737 MAX, will you have to change your production schedules for either the MAX or the 787 this year? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Remember, our production schedules in light of the impact of COVID, we took down almost to uh, bare minimums. Um, One, so that we could deplete the inventories that uh, we, we have created First, because of the, the max issue uh, in and of itself, and then secondly, because of the uh, uh, 8-7 delay in the first quarter. So uh, we're going to continue to deplete those inventories, keep our production rates steady, stable. Uh, we will be transparent with our supply chain. This is really a question of recovery. Um, it's really a question of recovery of those production rates. And then that march forward. And it's, it's mostly a uh, medium-term outlook with respect to those rates. So taking them down, I don't think so. Um, Taking them up and at what rate, that's where this matters. Dave Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing. Thank you, Dave, for joining us this morning uh, on a day, Carl, where Dave said it in his employee letter. He believes that 2021 is an inflection point as they move towards 2022 when they are projecting to have positive free cash flow. Carl, back to you. Uh, Phil, a lot of clues uh, pointing in that direction. I see CES going to be in person in Vegas uh, next January. Phil, thanks for that. We want to turn to chips this morning as well, Jim. Uh, AMD's uh, Q2 revenue guide is pretty good. Texans, not bad either, but those two names are going to go in different directions this morning. Well, you know, Texans very interesting. I know people are sending it down, uh, but there really wasn't any genuine weakness. I just think that the Texas Instruments happens to be what I'd say is unenthusiastic about itself for about 20 years. It's almost like I remember during the heyday of the 80s where they were so promotional. And now it's just kind of, hey, we did a good job. David, sometimes on these these conference calls, there are companies that just simply refuse to play the promotional game about themselves. And I, I like that very much because what it says is, listen, don't get caught up. We're doing a good job, but there's no reason for you to take the stock up. Right. And I find that to be refreshing. And Texas Instruments is refreshing. Yeah. Uh, And, Carl, as we see, of course, uh, AMD shares are higher, uh, or at least looking higher. Of course, we're 10 minutes away from the open. And I know we're going to have uh, Lisa Sue joining us very shortly as well. Looking forward to that. Yeah, we got a lot lot of wood to chop this morning. We'll talk to Lisa Sue after a break and get the opening bell in 10 minutes. Don't go anywhere. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. 
it was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Shares of AMD are rallying. The chipmaker lifting its revenue forecast and saying its supply chain has improved and is uh, look, this is just a true blowout. We haven't seen one of these in a long time. And joining us now, first on CNBC, AMD CEO, Dr. Lisa Sue. Lisa, I have to tell you, when you see 93% revenue growth and a, a forecast 50% revenue growth, you just have to say, how are you doing that? Well, kind of like Azure, David. It's one of those things. Yes. Or you do four CEO interviews in an hour. And, I can uh, be Lisa Sue. Well, you know, what we did was Calhoun we, might be a little we executed late. well and we used our roadmap and we did a very good job and probably even took share from our competitors. Yeah, that was a tough first question for her you had there. <laughs> it was the yeah. greatest softball question. Yeah. I was a hanging curveball. You really were. Now I have to come back with something much tougher. Uh, well, you could just repeat it if you want. <laughs> no, no. I did. You've just now pantsed me, so I'm going to come in with the toughest question imaginable. Like, why did you not do 51% Would rhythm? you like me to conduct the interview with you? Completely, can play Lisa you, well, you Let's make it like a debate, a presidential debate. How do you do it, Jim? Um, I don't know. What I think what we ought to do, perhaps, Carl, this is one of those instances where we ought to just keep doing many things, like talk about the incredible Brinker quarter. Brinker? You want to go to Brinker? Um, we, How about Yum? We can do Brinker, Jim. How about I, Yum? I think Yum is an amazing story. Yum on a two-year stack, Jim. Some of these numbers are bananas. Pizza up eight. Taco up 10. Uh, KFC up 11. I see uh, Restaurant Business pointed out that for, for Yum's four brands – they set per restaurant weekly sales records in Q1. Every single one. That's on Allen. Yeah, I mean, here's the stock that's down. So we're, I mean, eating it, a, we're eating a lot more fast food. It, one of the things that was really beautiful about what happened with Yum is they are really using data. So if you go, the start of the alphabet call is actually how Yum is using the data, particularly to, for a turnaround in Taco Bell. Now, Carl, this is one we all know these brands. Uh, but what I think what we don't recognize is this is just a this is a gigantic worldwide company other than China. And I am shocked at every single one of them. There's always been a loser, whether it be Pizza Hut one, mm-hmm. Taco Bell another, uh, even this Habit Burger. I've not had a Habit Burger, David. Have you? Had I have that? not. I have not. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Do you see Epicurious.com is not going to put any new recipes up that involve red meat? Is that true? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Beyond me, it should be doing better. Yeah. Um, guys, I, you know, uh, as we uh, obviously we still hope to join Elisa Sue at some point. We are, though, going to also be And I be apologize that I went through the mock. Later, yeah. later uh, by Daniel Eck. And I did want to, uh, before we get to the open four minutes from now, focus on Spotify because it, it's look, it's continued to worsen. Can I take a look? I think it could be down sure. as much as eight. Uh, we look at the monthly average users. Yeah, uh, at this point. And you can see it right there. Yeah, it's roughly 8%. Obviously, Daniel Eck on the call, continuing to talk about the fact that, you know what, we're always going to take the prioritize the long term over the short term. The hedge funds hate to hear that. Yes. They want the short term prioritized over the long term. Well, how about someone who's prioritizing both the short and long term? Lisa Sue, joining us first on CNBC. Lisa, I apologize for whatever transmission issues there were, but I. Got to give you, David joked about a softball question I gave you, which is that how do you do uh, 93% year over year and how do you have 50% revenue growth? He wants something harder. So I, I would say, <laughs> how are you able to take share in premium, ultra thin and gaming? <laughs> I can, it's hard for me to come up with something difficult, but 
Let me give you the floor. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to see you. Sorry about that before. Look, um, you know, it was a very, very strong uh, quarter. We're very excited about uh, the growth that we see in the business. You know, I think what we see is um, across all of our businesses, whether you're talking about, you know, high-end PCs or you're talking about gaming or consoles or data center, we're just seeing, you know, tremendous growth, um, you know, across uh, the business. And, you know, it's a very, very strong product portfolio and also strong market demand. So it's an exciting time. You repeatedly mention the roadmap, and of course you give us an Italian roadmap, you use those city names, the roadmap being so important. And when I, I listen and I look at the roadmap, what I'm thinking about is you are not thinking short term, you're not thinking out to 2023. We're talking about a 2026-2027 plan at, at a minimum. Now, do you do that because you are accruing new customers, a, a Google, say, a Azure? Because that's what they want, a long-term commitment and a partner. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, one of the um, highlights of the quarter and really of the year is our data center business. You know, the data center is really powering some of the most important services that we're all using, like these collaboration services and what um, you know large enterprises need. And you know, we doubled our data center business um, in the first quarter and see uh, you know growth and acceleration as we go through the year. And it is all about roadmap, Jim. You know, we've been working on this roadmap for the last couple of years. Um, you know, we, you know our roadmap well. We have Italian names. So we went Naples to Rome to Milan to Genoa. And with each generation, customers are actually planning what they need to do together with our roadmap. And so, yeah, we're extremely excited. You know, we saw significant growth. Um, in the first quarter, we see that continuing into the second quarter, and it allowed us to um, to raise our guidance uh, for the full year. But it is all about roadmap. You know, today um, our you know best processor is uh, Milan, which is our newest generation Epic, and we're going to be on to the next generation uh, next year with uh, with Genoa. Well, one, I'm glad you brought this up because uh, one of the things that I saw we had Pat Gelsinger on. Uh, that late of VMware, but of course, earlier Intel and now CEO Intel. And he talked about a digestion period, which is used as be, say, is a glut, that there's a glut of chips in the data center. I have watched every video involving your company. And to me, there is no glut. If anything, there's tremendous demand. How do we explain the disparity? Well, uh, you know, I really do think um, this is about, you know, plans that we've laid out over a number of quarters. So we actually saw um, in the fourth quarter that, you know, there was significant demand for um, our, uh, our data center product and a strong um, you know, guide into the first quarter. And as we went through the quarter, we just saw people needed more products um, for their data center systems. And if you think about it, it's it's all the things that we're using. Right. I mean, the fact is we're all using, you know, many, many more digital services and they require you know lots of cloud uh, capability. So what we saw uh, was actually, you know, strength in our cloud business. And, you know, I think it just really depends on, um, you know, where our partners are in their launch cycle. Uh, so we're very excited about uh, the momentum that we see. Well, one of the things that I think is kind of curious is that when you go back to Gelsinger's uh, comments, and I'm, I'm just focused on this because there's been a long time rivalry between AMD and Intel, is he keeps talking about an intimate relationship with customers that I think are actually now your customers. Is it entirely possible that it's not about intimacy, it's about product and quality. Well, uh, Jim, I would say that in general, in tech, it's always about product, quality, uh, dependability, uh, roadmap, um, you know, really, you know, joint plans. Uh, you know, we've been at this for a number of years. Uh, you know, we've talked to you on this show a lot about our long-term strategy and the journey that we're on. Uh, we're all about putting the best product in the market. You know, our engineers are incredibly, incredibly focused and motivated uh, by doing that. 
Um, our customers are asking more from us. And so, yes, you absolutely need deep customer partnerships. And we have those. And it starts with, you know, phenomenal product and being able to, uh, you know, do the things that we need to do as we're advancing in this, you know, really digital transformation of the world. There's a there's a very big debate right now, Lisa, about the grand reopening and whether that means that the second half will not have the demand for personal computers that the first half does. Something, by the way, that Intel highlighted as a possibility. What kind of uh, demand trend do you see for personal computers? Yeah, so the PC market, uh, Jim, is um, you know in a remarkable place. I mean, if you think about it, you know the recent um, you know the recent growth that we saw last year and the growth that we're seeing this year is just very very strong. And I think it's this this trend of not just work from home, but everybody wants um, you know better products and better computing. You know, you want a um, you know better video experience. You want a better computing experience. And so the demand is strong. Now, what we see is um, across PCs across Across, you know, um, gaming, you know, gaming is huge across data center. We actually see that uh, 2021 will be even stronger than what we originally thought from our business. So we were uh, able to raise our guidance. Um, you know, originally we thought we would grow 37 percent um, in 2021. We now see uh, the opportunity to grow um, 50 percent in 2021 just on the strength of our product portfolio as well as the market. So we feel very good about the second half. Um, you know, I think it's a, a incredibly uh, you know, exciting year in terms of just all of the technology that we can bring to market, and, and we're working hard at it. Now, on uh, uh, someone you and I both respect a great deal, Jensen Wong, on his NVIDIA call, he, he's really just talking about saying, listen, uh, we're coming in with a quantum leap port, uh, product, uh, and pretty much everybody is far away from us, and you really were the existential threat. Uh, look, NVIDIA is a great company, but do you see them as an existential threat to what you've got going in, data, say, data center? You know, Jim, what I would say is uh, we always count on a very competitive uh, market. I mean, there are a lot of great companies out there, so no question about that. Now, when we look at our business, though, we look at computing as really, you know, the next big frontier in terms of just all innovation that's necessary. So, you know, we've been thinking about this for years. Uh, we have a very, very strong roadmap thinking about how we combine, you know, sort of our CPUs and our GPUs. And, you know, we're really excited about our Xilinx uh, pending acquisition as we bring in, you know, their accelerated computing. And we're going to have just a tremendous portfolio uh, for the data center. So I, I feel uh, great about our roadmap. I think, you know, computing is more and more important um, as we go forward. And, and yes, there are you know, lots of companies that are addressing it. Uh, but you can count on the fact that, you know, we are highly invested in this roadmap. And we're working uh, very hard to make sure that over the next five years, uh, you see incredible technology from AMD. Lisa, just one last thing. Can you give us a sense of what you're seeing about people coming back to the office, which, of course, would therefore be CPU sales? Uh, and how much could your, your company benefit from a genuine reopening of the office? Well, you know, it's a great, uh, great point that you're making, you know, as uh, as we see. Um, the, uh, you know, the return to office or, you know, sort of what this, you know, next phase, um, you know, will be. There is actually a, a return in enterprise spending. And as we look over the next couple of quarters, you know, we're very focused on the most strategic segments of the computing market. So, uh, you know, we see um, enterprise PCs, for example, as um, a, uh, a good growth driver. We see, um, you know, enterprise data center, you know, servers, um, that people need, um, as well as cloud, um, as uh, as key growth drivers, and so you know you see many of these trends actually coming together. You you want great technology at home, 
You want better technology when you go back to work. You're going to be in a hybrid environment, so you want to be able to move back and forth uh, between those two. And then, of course, you know, I, I can't uh, leave out gaming. I'm, you know, the fact that gaming is a great secular growth driver as well. So I think we have a lot of trends going for um, the need for great technology, and, and we want to be the uh, partner of choice there. Well, once again, I want to congratulate you. I know when uh, Intel was talking, a lot of people uh, sent down Intel, uh, sent on AMD to 79.80, believing that you had uh, lost share. Uh, or that they were coming in with gangbusters. I, I wish them the best of luck, but their product is a little late, day late and a dollar short. Lisa Sue, AMD, unbelievable job. Great to talk to you again. Thanks. Great seeing you guys. Take care. Thank you. Carl? Jim, great discussion, especially about the reopening. And it does remind me, I want to squeeze in here amid all these earnings. Uh, this call from Goldman this morning on oil, Jeff Curry says that the next six months are going to bring the biggest jump in oil demand that we've uh, ever seen, 50% larger than the second largest back in 2000. And they see crude going to 80, uh, commodities up another 13. Well, I know that uh, EV, electronic vehicles, still not here. I'm going to hear from Ford on Mad Money later tonight. I think they're going to talk about competition, but it's still nowhere. It's still only just 3%, and I could understand. I disagree with that forecast. I think that if it ever got to that level, the Saudis would flood it. They don't want... United States back in and $80 puts the United States back in in a big way. David, you know that the Saudis are in charge of oil right now, not the market. Uh, Yeah. Interesting as well, that journal piece that they may sell another little slice of Saudi Aramco. But, you know, Jim, it's interesting when you look at energy equities, they have severely trailed the move in the commodity. Yes, they have. Of late. Yes, they have. And maybe we'll find something out at the end of the week when Chevron and Exxon report. And Mike Worth has always been pretty, pretty good at giving you a forecast. But yet the stocks are eh. after after a very strong run, particularly Exxon in the first couple of months of the year, actually starting uh, in the latter part of of 2020. They they have uh, underperformed, so to speak, at least the commodity. BP had a blowout yesterday. Stock barely moved. Yeah. Incredible. Carl. Uh, guys, uh, speaking of reopenings, uh, Starbucks beats by nine cents with adjusted uh, 62 cents a share. Revenue was a little shy due to what we now know are obvious points of weakness around the world. Uh, Starbucks president and CEO Kevin Johnson joins us this morning in another first on CNBC interview. Kevin, good morning. Great to see you. Good morning, Carl. How are you this morning? Uh, pretty good. We're, we're grateful for the time. Um, I mentioned that international weakness. I mean, there obviously are some some difficult spots who are still grappling with reopening and the pandemic. But what specifically did you find a worrisome XUS? Well, if you look at if you look at this last quarter, it was a solid quarter. And it really demonstrates that vaccinations are the unlock for what we call the great human reconnection. And we saw that unfold across the United States. Now, certainly, as you point out, you know, Europe had some uh, some outbreaks and much of Europe was in lockdown uh, through parts of this last quarter. And we even saw some covid restrictions in China where they restricted non-essential travel throughout the Chinese New Year. So that put a little bit of, uh, of headwind. But overall, we had a great uh, quarter. We had a strong beat in earnings per share, as you highlighted. And we've raised our guidance, our full year guidance for revenue, for earnings per share and for operating margins. So very positive signs. But the unlock is getting vaccine, getting shots in arms. And if you look at what happened in the U.S., that's exactly what unfolded. The great human reconnection has yeah. begun. Uh, the guidance outlook, you're right, on those, on those metrics is stronger. It has some on the street wondering, uh, at what point would you be willing to boost some guidance on comps themselves? 
Well, you know, we we've, we we guided, you know, pretty strong comps and a wide range of comps uh, for this year. And, uh, you know, we're sticking to that, you know, clearly to deliver on this revenue guidance, it's going to be at the higher end of, of the comp range that we've given. But I think we've got very solid evidence. If you just look at the United States, you know, this the United States posted, uh, you know, I think a 9% year on year comp. And we even commented we exited the quarter with uh, an 11% two year comp. So think about that 11% two year comp growth over FY19 is kind of like a five comp and a six comp. And so uh, you look at what's happened. We're just seeing that momentum build in the U.S. And as vaccinations take place around the world, we're seeing the same phenomenon happen. So we're pretty optimistic about the back half of this calendar year, or fiscal year. Yeah, Kevin, always good to have you on the show in good and bad times. Mostly good, because that's how well Starbucks has done. We able to get that stock. Uh, To me, I just accept that it's profit-taking. But I want to drill down on something. You talked about artificial intelligence. It really is a way to be able to predict uh, the connection. And your Starbucks reward is program is terrific. But I want to call out Panera, 40 million members, okay, for their yep. for their rewards. Uh, Ulta, 32 million members. Chipotle just started two years ago. They already have more than 20 million members. Why does Starbucks only have just 22.9 million members? Well, Jim, keep in mind what we report is 90-day active members. And so these are these are customers that in the last 90 days are actively engaging in Starbucks rewards. And so, you know, you got you got a benchmark it versus that. But if you look at, you know, we we grew Starbucks uh, rewards customers roughly 18 percent year on year. And we've grown them 19 percent in the U.S. just in the last six months to twenty two point nine million. So, as you said, we're at about twenty three million. I did comment on the call uh, yesterday evening that you know, when I talk to our team, I, you know, I, I have this aspiration that we can double that number. Now, I don't know, you know, it might take, might take a couple of years to do that, but it's just, it's just a matter of using machine learning and artificial intelligence to get better line of sight to those unknown customers so that we can market to them and, and reach out to them with personalized offers and personalize their experience and bring them into the rewards uh, program. That is a great opportunity for upside for Starbucks over the next few years. Kevin, it's David. Uh, You know, I always like to ask you about China, and I will continue that. I think you hit 5,000 stores very recently in the country. Mobile order sales mix there. 34% of your sales are mobile orders in China. I mean, is there a point at which it's like, okay, that's, that's enough, or does that keep going higher? Well, you know, I think that's going to keep going higher. You know, you even look at the, the percent of, uh, of spend in our stores, both in the U.S. and China, that is from our rewards customers and paid on that mobile app. You know, you think about ordering. It's, it's the safest, easiest, most personalized way to place your Starbucks order. So I think that number is going to keep going up. And, uh, you know, as that goes up, that allows us to really elevate and improve the customer experience uh, in our stores. And so uh, I, I anticipate that number is going to keep growing. In China, you know, a significant portion of it is delivery as well. So it's a combination of, you know, customers, uh, you know, want to want to have effortless uh, experiences that fit their lifestyle. And a lot of them in China want to have that coffee ordered and delivered right to them. And what about store growth back here in the U.S.? Particularly, you know, there, uh, there are obviously neighborhood Starbucks that I would assume are doing quite well, but those in downtown areas have to still be suffering greatly. Uh, what are your expectations there, given we are still only seeing 15, 20 percent of workers typically come back in an office building, for example, on a daily basis? Well, you know, that's a, that's a key metric to, to watch, uh, David. I think that, you know, in, in downtown, uh, you know, office-based locations, 
you know, we still see some softness. We're seeing recovery, but the, the bulk of the recovery is happening in sort of those uh, non-downtown, non-urban uh, stores that typically are cafes with drive-throughs. And uh, two things. Number one, our trade area transformation, we are repositioning stores in those downtown markets with new formats and new locations. And, you know, uh, we, we announced this like uh, about in June last year. So in the last nine months, we've completed about 70% of the closures. And of those closures, we've repositioned already about a third of those stores. And so great progress there. I anticipate uh, this fall, we're going to start seeing businesses, uh, you know, sort of have their, their workforce start to work back in the office again. You know, that's what we're planning for Starbucks. In our support center here in Seattle, we just told our partners, look, plan to keep working from home until October. And so I anticipate this fall, we're going to see, you know, that, that renaissance and that transformation in downtown markets. And that's going to just further accelerate the recovery and the growth of Starbucks. All right. Well, uh, you oh, know, Kevin, ahead, I'm sorry. What, I, know, I was just going to say, Kevin, um, you know, the viewers might not know you've got a pretty well-rounded AI program that I read last night is looking into actual vaccine progress. I don't know if it's just in the U.S. or around the world, but can you talk about that briefly and, and what kind of intelligence it's giving you? Yeah, well, here's here's kind of how that came to be. You know, I was sort of tracking when uh, when the FDA announced uh, emergency authorization for the Pfizer vaccine, for Moderna, for J&J. I was sort of tracking at the time of those announcements what was happening in our stores. And you start to see an uptick. Then as, as we got into the vaccination program, once the U.S. started hitting about 3 million uh, to 4 million vac- vaccines a day, we saw an even greater uptick. And so what I've asked our deep brew team to do is to do the analytics to start to correlate as vaccine and vaccinations roll out, what can we anticipate in terms of customer mobility and traffic in our stores? And so uh, deep brew now is using that machine learning to, to track that in every country around the world. What that's giving us is indications of how customer mobility is unfolding Uh, how that will show up in our stores. And that's allowing us to plan for everything around staffing in our stores, supply chain, all of the things to ensure we create a great experience as customers, uh, you know, begin to to connect and begin to come to Starbucks. Uh, Kevin, sometimes when I see a stock down three and a high quality company, I want to search around what, what might be wrong. And I know that David mentioned about downtowns, you've got the trade area transformation program, and it, it did. You did say you're only seventy percent complete. Um, I wonder if, if that's one of the things that people are saying. Well, why aren't you quicker on this change in America? Well, it's a great question. You know, a lot of this says how are we repositioning eight hundred stores, and we've already you know, repositioned about six hundred of those stores. The final two hundred, Jim, uh, the majority of those are in malls. And, uh, you know, those will those will happen in the next six months. And the reason that we slow down on those is we're just waiting for some leases to, to terminate and get to the point where we can make that transition uh, easier. So, you know, I think when it comes to the downtown uh, store locations, that's that's where we fundamentally have moved quickly and we're in a very good position. There. So I think, you know, much of the remaining stores we have to reposition are mall based stores that we think are going to transition uh, to other formats and other locations. Kevin, as always, uh, great color and texture around the print, and uh, we always are grateful. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
Kevin Johnson of Starbucks. When we come back, as David said earlier, Spotify's Daniel X going to join us on the quarter on this European soccer ambition after the break. But first, take a look at how Treasuries are faring ahead of the Fed's post-meeting statement due this afternoon. Uh, take a look at yields. As for the Dow, getting a drag of almost 200 points from Amgen, Microsoft, and Boeing alone. We're back in a minute. We got to drill down on this. Spotify shares are under pressure this morning after reporting first quarter results that I think a lot of people say look darn good. So joining us now is Daniel Eck. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Spotify. Daniel, I love it when you come on the show because you can explain what's really going on because your stock has often rallied after initial decline. So let's go right to it. I can see there's a reaction to the monthly average users being down, uh, and so are your free users. So why are they down, and why does it matter? Yeah, well, thanks for having me again, Jim. Um, I think overall, like we had a very solid first quarter, um, subs at the top end of the range, revenue at the top end of the range, and of course our gross margin as well at the top end of the range. But as you said, uh, MU's a little bit softer. I think it really comes down to a very, very strong and solid 2020. And of course, um, as I outlined in my opening remarks as well on the earnings call, we are in a sort of recovery of COVID and we're at various stages around the world. So some of the markets um, where we experienced um, usually a lot of growth are now still very much in that COVID recovery process. Well, at the same time, we can talk about some price increases here. You can't usually put them through unless you're confident. I find, and I often talk with Carl and David, Spotify's a bill you have to pay. Uh, It looks like the, the, the United States and UK, you agree with me. Oh, for sure. And, um, you know, we started doing that about two, three quarters ago. I, I talked about adding another leg to the stool. Um, and the early results that we saw then was very encouraged. And that's obviously continued. And it's on the back of that that we felt comfortable uh, rolling it out in more markets. And I'm just very, very encouraged uh, by the result that we're seeing across the board on engagement. Uh, and the Spotify users are getting a fantastic value for their money. Well, let's talk about the value. Because- because it seems like you are aggressively courting creators. And uh, to not talk about podcasts is ridiculous. Your podcast business is exploding, isn't it? Oh, it is for sure, Jim. So we've been growing the past few years from 5 million creators to 7 million creators, and this year, 8 million creators. And it's growing very, very rapidly. And in the next few years, we think... uh, as many as 50 million creators will be on the Spotify platform. And that obviously means that they'll create more engaging content, which means more users will come on. And then the more users will come on, the more uh, great creators will come on as well. So it's a real flywheel in the making. Daniel, it's David. I well remember the day you joined us at the NYSE when you talked about podcasting as a strategic imperative for the company. I wonder, though, when I when I look at the company in terms of what you pay the labels as a percent of revenue, that's still overall revenue, isn't it? In other words, you haven't been able to separate revenue from podcasting from revenue from music. Is that something you will be able to do at some point? Yeah. um, So we have two totally different revenue streams for podcasters and uh, for music. Um, The gross margin profile for podcasting obviously is a bit different. We're still very much in the investment phase in our podcasting stage. But over time, I expect them to be a little bit better than we have on the music side. So that's obviously going to contribute to a much better story uh, over time for Spotify. 
Daniel, Joe Rogan's obviously a huge influencer. Uh, the, the, what he said about vaccines and younger people continues to make news. Um, what's the ready response to that? And how difficult is it to remain, I guess, agnostic uh, about his comments regarding a vaccine when we know how important it is for countries to get their populations vaccinated? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to what any one uh, creator is talking about on the platform. We have 8 million creators and hundreds of millions of pieces of content. So we have a content policy on Spotify and we, um, you know, uh, consistently applies it across the board, no matter if it's Joe Rogan or any one of our other creators. All right. Daniel, you know, I'm a big fan of Spotify, but I'm also a big fan of Arsenal turning around. And uh, it's, it's a franchise that is storied. And I just want to know right now, how much do you want it and can you get it? Well, you know, Jim, I, I've been an Arsenal fan since I was eight years old. Arsenal is my team. I love the history. I love the players. Uh, and, of course, I love the fans. So as I look at that, I just see a tremendous opportunity to set a real vision for the club to bring it back to its glory. And I want to establish trust with fans and I want to engage the fans again. So to answer your question, I'm very serious. Um, you know, uh, I have secured the funds for it and I want to uh, bring a what I think is a very compelling offer to the owners. And I hope they hear me out. Uh, Daniel, they don't seem to be interested in selling, though. And unlike a public company where there's other things you can do to conceivably pressure them here, I suppose it's only the fan base. But, you know, they've made it clear we're not sellers. Yeah, but, you know, as I started out saying, I've been a fan for 30 years uh, of this club, and I uh, certainly didn't expect that this would happen overnight, uh, and I'm prepared that this could be a long journey. But, you know, all I can do is prepare what I think is a very thoughtful offer and bring it to them and hope they hear me out. Well, one of the things that uh, they're saying is that they're not interested. That, to me, sounds like an opening offer. <laughs> uh, you have a lot of cash. You are the fan owner. Everyone wants to see an owner who identifies with the fans. I don't want to slam the uh, the Cronkies too much, but they own a lot of teams, and it seems like this is just some asset for them. and Nothing real particular. Doesn't that gall you? Doesn't that make you feel angry? Well, you know, I, I just focus on the club. I focus on the fans, and I focus, focus on trying to bring the club back to glory. And as you said, I'm first and foremost a fan. That's the most important uh, thing for me, and I want the club to do better. That's my primary interest. All right, speaking of glory, uh, let's get back to Spotify for a moment. Uh, Daniel, are you still sticking with long-term getting to margins of between 30 and 40%? Is that still realistic for this company? Absolutely so. So I think the broader story here that I think is worth pointing out, like we started as a music company, we then set out to be an audio company. But more than that, it's started as a streaming service and it's really becoming an audio platform. And when you think about that audio platform, we're now creating tools for better creation, better distribution, better engagement and better monetization. And that's going to bring revenue opportunities across all four of these categories. And some of them are going to be very high margin businesses for us. Some of them are, of course, uh, lower margin businesses. But overall, I definitely think it's realistic to be in the mid-30s on the gross margin side. So, Daniel, uh, App reports tonight. Uh, you have a, you're fighting a battle with them in Europe regarding anti-competitive behavior. Is it time to bury the hatchet? 
Well, you know, all, all we're fighting for really is having a level playing field, having an open platform that allows us to talk to customers and to allows us to innovate on the same premise that everyone else on the platform does, including Apple. That's what we're focused on. That's what we're excited about. And that's also, by the way, when we announced our paid offering for creators yesterday uh, that we focused on as well. We're bringing forward a very, very compelling offering to creators where they can communicate to their customers on their terms. They can set the pricing. And it's a very, very um, good um opportunity for creators right now on the Spotify platform. Well, that, that sounds like that there's uh, no peace offering coming. A statement of objection is uh, likely coming instead. You know, um, I, 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 I don't know what the European Union will do, but obviously we're very encouraged with all the dialogues we're having with regulators around the world. And I hope um, that we have a level playing field and that's what we're fighting for. All right. Thank you so much to Daniel Eck. And I know it's uh, I care about the Spotify price, but I think that the Arsenal conversation, it seems to be it seems to dominate dominating right now. Because we even talk about the Super League. People want you (laughs) to own that franchise, Daniel. Well, thank you, guys. Um, Well, thank you again for having me. It's always fun to be on here. And yeah, we're we're super excited about the future here at Spotify, and, and we're excited about the early innings of what is a tremendous growth story in audio. Thank you so much, Daniel, executive CEO of Spotify. Carl, exciting show today. Yeah, indeed, we got through a lot, Jim. We've got an S and P record high while we were talking to Daniel. As we said earlier, Dow still being dragged down a bit by Microsoft, Amgen, and Boeing. Jim, you'll have a, a lot to kick around tonight, including Ford, right? Yeah, it's a slow show. I've got Salesforce. I've got Yum. I have Stanley Black & Decker, and I have Ford. And I wish I could bring it, but that's the best I can do, Carl. <laughs> All right. Okay. Do better. Do better next time, yeah, Jim. Man. We'll see you tonight, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, Mad Money uh, with Jim Cramer. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.